0: All right, so we are jumping into the third week of our series on Paul's letter to the Galatians, and I don't know about you, but for me personally, it's been very helpful to spend time in this letter. There is so much in Galatians that applies to our everyday lives, and what we're going to cover this morning is no exception. But I want to lead into this morning's sermon by asking kind of a loaded question. The question is, in your opinion, what kind of church is the best kind of church? Because you know, there are lots of different types of churches out there. Everything from traditional to modern, from conservative to liberal, from liturgical to very casual. There are so many varieties to choose from, but what's your opinion? Which kind is the best kind? Well, I realize that's a very big question, so let's narrow this down a little. I'm going to give you a few options. And First, I want you to think about something we could call the church of acceptance. Uh, That's a a positive title. Let let me tell you a little more of what this looks like. This church places a high value on loving people. No matter who you are, no matter what is in your past, when you walk in, this church will welcome you with open arms. If they had one of those church signs down by the road, uh, here's a message they might use. Uh, This message has God speaking, and He says, just love everyone, and I'll sort them out later. So, what do you think? Does that kind of church sound attractive to you? If not, I have another option for you. This one is called the Church of Accountability. Listen to what this church is like. The Church of Accountability wants everyone to know that in this universe God has created, all of our actions have consequences. That's what this church uh, might put out by the road. Whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you're gr- going. Uh, That's uh, uh, pretty intense, but like I said, um, this church is just trying to communicate that when you break God's laws, there are consequences. Okay, now so far we have the church of acceptance and the church of accountability, and based on your personal preference, do you have a favorite between these two choices? You probably do. The truth is, just about all of us would tend toward one or the other of these two options. And you know what? You could find a biblical basis for both of these churches, but listen, either one of them could very easily drift into a version of Christianity that is not in line with the Bible. If you're drawn to the church of acceptance, here's the danger. You can become a church that shows a whole lot of grace, but you're speaking very little truth. What do I mean by that? Well, that's when someone says, you know, we're we're just all okay the way we are, and God would never ask us to change or become a different kind of person. That's not the message of Scripture. And the church of accountability can also get in trouble. Uh, A church like that may become very quick to talk about God's truth, but then uh, do a very, uh, a very bad job of showing grace in a subtle way or possibly even openly. This church may send the message that in order to be accepted by God, you have to make sure your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. That's not the message of Scripture either. But, you know, pretty much any human being is going to lean in one of these two directions toward the church of acceptance or the church of accountability. But let me give you one last choice. Option number three is the church of the gospel. And what do you suppose is different about this kind of church? Well, for one thing, this church is not based on some human idea. This is God's idea. But here's what you find in a church that's based on the gospel. It's going to be full of both grace and truth. It's not 80% of one and 20% of the other. It's not even 50% of both. It's 100% of each one. You know where this concept comes from? It comes from Jesus uh, we can see that in a verse that I've shared many times. John chapter 1, verse 14. That verse says, The Word, and that's a title referring to Jesus, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is part of what makes Jesus so amazing, He is full of both grace and truth, both acceptance and accountability. With Jesus, it's okay that we're not okay, but it's not okay for us to stay that way. Now, when humans try to follow the example of Jesus, we struggle. Uh, We really need outside help if we're going to live the way He did. And to some extent, that's why Galatians exists. Paul wrote this letter to a group of people who had gotten out of line. The churches in the region of Galatia were not living according to the gospel. The Galatian Christians were all about accountability and law, but they were very short on grace. In the first two chapters of this letter, Paul has been fighting the problem of legalism. And if you've been here the past two weeks, you know what was happening a group of Jewish Christians started placing extra requirements on the Gentile Christians. These Jewish Christians said, hey, that's great if you want to join the church, but you can't be a part of God's family unless you follow all of the Jewish laws. And that included things like circumcision, dietary laws, uh, observing the Sabbath day. But in Galatians 2.16, Paul says, A person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. See, Jewish Christians were still seeing things through the lens of the Old Testament, back when the nation of Israel was trying to earn God's approval by following His laws and commands. But in this verse, Paul says, That is not how a person is justified or made right with God. It won't happen by trying to be a good person. It won't happen by doing your best to follow the rules. Paul says that approach can never work because none of us have the ability to be good enough. The only way anyone can be accepted by God is to receive the grace that comes through faith in Jesus. And with this letter to the Galatians, God was using Paul to help these churches get back on track. He was bringing them back in line with the true gospel. And what is the true gospel? Well, for a couple of weeks now, we've used a summary that's drawn from several places in the Bible. Here's what we've said The gospel is the good news that Jesus, the Messiah and the Son of God, died in our place so that we could be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ instead of trying to be saved by our own works, which is hopeless. Now, we have to keep in mind that. The gospel is not some human idea. It's God's idea. And in our humanness, we always have a tendency to drift away from the true gospel. We're tempted to pursue acceptance without accountability or accountability without acceptance. That's why we have to keep returning to Scripture because God's Word will correct our human errors. So we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 3 this morning, but I will be completely honest with you. This chapter can be a little difficult to wade through. The first time you read it, you may find yourself asking, Paul, what are you talking about here? But really, he's just expanding on this theme of the true gospel. And specifically, chapter 3 explains how the old law system is different than the new system, the system of grace, where a person is justified by faith. Let's uh, read an example. Jump down to Galatians 3, verse 23. Paul says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we may be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Okay, so Paul has some pretty negative things to say about the law system, doesn't he? He says, back in the days of the Old Testament, it it was like the people of Israel were living in prison. He says, uh, we were locked up. We were held in custody. It was a no-win situation. We could never be good enough to earn our way out of this prison. But then Jesus came, and He inaugurated a new system where we could be freed from the penalty of sin, despite the fact that we didn't deserve it. And then notice what Paul says in that that last verse there. He says, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, meaning we are no longer under the law. So that's why it was inappropriate for the Jewish Christians to force the Gentile Christians to follow all those rituals from the Old Testament. But what does that mean for Christians today? You know, there are hundreds of laws and commands in the Old Testament. And based on what Paul teaches in Galatians, we know that some of those rules don't apply to us anymore, like thou shalt not eat pork. But what about thou shalt not steal? We're not supposed to throw that one out, right? And you can probably see where this gets a little confusing. So what should today's church do with the laws of the Old Testament? How do we know which ones still apply? This topic is very relevant in our world. You see, people outside the church have lots of questions about this. Have you ever heard someone accuse Christians of cherry-picking from the Bible? Uh, They'll say, you guys just pick and choose which rules you want to follow. You pull out the ones you like, and you just ignore the ones you don't like. So what's up with that? How would you answer that person? It's actually a very good question. So in the time we have left, here's what I want to do. Instead of going through Galatians 3 top to bottom, we're going to bounce around a little because we're really going to deal with one big issue. What is the relationship between followers of Jesus and God's law? If we haven't been thinking about this, it's time we did because we need to have an answer when people are asking good questions. So what do we learn from Paul in Galatians 3? Well, one thing to notice is that Paul gives us A lot of helpful backstory. He tells us where the law system fits into God's bigger timeline. So I want you to imagine a timeline up here in front of me. And let's say that Jesus is right here on the timeline. And we live in the time after Jesus. So we live under this grace system. So here's where we are today. And we're going to work our way backwards. And just a minute ago, we said that Jesus brought about this new system of grace And in Galatians 3.13, Paul explains that system. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Now, that last part is in quotations there because it's a quote from the Old Testament. Paul's using the Old Testament to point to the crucifixion of Jesus because that's where grace comes from. Jesus purchased our freedom by going to the cross. And how did that work? Well, you see, all of us are sinners. All of us deserve to be held accountable for our sins. But how could God accept us and hold us accountable at the same time? If He holds us accountable, then we get the penalty of eternal death. That's hell, and God doesn't want that for anyone because he loves us. But if God just accepts us without holding us accountable, that violates his character. Because God is completely holy and good and just, and that means he cannot allow our wrongs to go unpunished. So the cross is the key here. Jesus looked at sinful people like you and me, and he said, I will be held accountable for your sins. He took our curse onto himself, which satisfies both grace and truth, full accountability and full acceptance. This is the gospel. This is literally the best news in the world. God's grace is available to anyone who's willing to receive it. So that's the system of grace. And thankfully, we live under that system today. But before the grace system, there was the law system before Jesus. And we've talked about the law as you read through the Old Testament. The nation of Israel was living under this system where you obey the rules and then that's how you'll be accepted by God. The problem was absolutely no one was successful at obeying all the rules. So from God's perspective, what was he doing here? What was this law system about? Was it kind of a test? Did did he watch Israel over hundreds and hundreds of years, just see them failing repeatedly, and then say, well, I, I thought the law system was pretty good, but these people are hopeless, so I guess I better come up with a plan B. Is that what God was doing? No, not at all. In Galatians 3 and in other parts of the Bible, here's what we learn. Even before the law system, God's plan was justification by faith. This was not an afterthought. Did you know that? Let's read Galatians 3, verse 6. Paul says, so also Abraham, way back here, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So a little Old Testament history. Who came first, Abraham or Moses? Anyone know? Abraham came first, right? Just like George Washington is the father of our country, Abraham is the father or the patriarch of the Jewish people. And then who was it that received the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai? Was that Abraham or Moses? That was Moses. You guys are good. So if Moses received the Ten Commandments and Moses came hundreds of years after Abraham, which he did, What does that mean? Was Abraham under the law system? No. The law had not been given yet. So was Abraham under the grace system? Not really, because Jesus wouldn't come along for about another 2,000 years. So then how could Abraham ever hope to be justified or made right before God? Well, look at the verse we just read. Abraham believed God He he put his faith in the promises of God, and that faith was credited to him as righteousness. He was justified by faith. But then, how did God hold Abraham accountable for his sins? Well, that still goes back to the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus was enough to cover all of the sins of all humanity for all time. Not just the people who happened to be alive during the time of Jesus. That's good news for people like us who came along centuries after Jesus. But it's also good news for anyone who lived by faith in God before the time of Jesus. See, this was God's plan all along. Paul says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham." Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, what we've done here is we've kind of zoomed out to see the big picture of the entire story of the Bible. So Jesus, right here, was the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham way back there. God promised Abraham that not only Jews but also Gentiles would have the opportunity to be justified by faith. 2,000 years before Jesus, God said to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. And how did that happen? It happened because Jesus was a direct descendant of Abraham. God chose the nation of Israel to be the people through whom the Savior of the world would come. It's pretty cool, right? But then uh, that leaves us with a different question. What was the purpose of the law system since it was always ineffective? From God's perspective, why even go there? Why not just skip straight to the part where the Messiah shows up and establishes the system of grace? Well, Paul deals with that very question. Look at verse 19. He says, Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Okay, so this is one of those verses that may be a little confusing. First, who is the seed? The seed is Jesus, the seed of Abraham. Uh, The law system was a temporary measure that was only in place until Jesus, the seed, fulfilled God's promise. So then back up. Why was the law given? Well, Paul says God gave the law because of transgressions. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, here's the deal. God's law had a negative purpose. The law exposed the sinfulness of people. If you don't have a standard, how would you ever know that you don't measure up? The law is the standard that shows us we're not good enough for God, not even close. And yes, that is bad news but the bad news drives us to the good news. If we don't have an accurate picture of our sin, we'll be clueless about our need for Jesus. So that's the law's negative purpose. But the law also did something positive. The law served as kind of a strict school teacher until the coming of the Messiah. Uh, we already read the verse where Paul talks about this, Galatians 3:24. So the law was our guardian, remember that word, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Paul's readers would have been very familiar with the word that's translated as guardian here. Because this guardian was like a nanny, kind of an in-home school teacher. In the first century, a wealthy family would take in one of these guardians to raise their kids. That way, the children would be taught academics as well as good morals. And Paul says, God's law sort of served that same purpose. This was a way to keep Israel in line until the coming of the Messiah. But the Messiah did come, right? Jesus made it possible for us to be justified by faith. So Paul says in verse 25 now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And this is where we can get a little fuzzy. This is where we might ask since Jesus established the grace system, is the law obsolete? I mean, think about it. If God is willing to forgive us and we don't earn his approval based on our performance, does it really even matter what we do? Can't we just say, God, your grace is so amazing. Thank you for giving me the freedom to do whatever I want and then ask for forgiveness later. Not so fast. Let's look at something that Jesus said over in Matthew 5. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus did not abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. And what does that mean? Well, Jesus was the only person in history who lived a perfect life with perfect obedience to God's law. That's why he could sacrifice his life on our behalf. He didn't have sins of his own to pay for And when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us the opportunity to take on his perfect record. When we come to Jesus in faith and begin a life-changing relationship with him, God looks at us completely differently. He doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the perfection of Jesus. Look at Galatians 3.26, which we heard earlier. It says, so in Christ you are all children of God through faith, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Paul's pointing to the fact that the Galatian Christians were baptized when they put their faith in Christ. And he says, when all of that happened, you were clothed with Christ. You took on the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus. And from then on, God is not judging you based on your performance. He judges you based on the righteousness of Jesus. That's not fair, but it's not fair in the best possible way. Because that's the only way any of us will ever be accepted into God's presence. But we still didn't answer that question, did we? Is the law obsolete? Well, here's what we already know. We've learned that no one will be saved through the law system. But we also know that Jesus does does not weaken the law. In fact, He raises the bar. In the time of Jesus, some of the religious leaders thought they were doing a pretty good job of obeying God's commands, but then Jesus comes along and he sets a much higher standard. Back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you heard the command, you shall not murder, right? Well, I tell you, if you're just angry with someone and you insult them and you call them a fool, you have already broken the spirit of that law and you deserve judgment. And then Jesus goes down the line and he says similar things about other commandments. He takes a standard that was already impossible and makes it even more impossible. And good thing we now have the system of grace, right? Christians no longer have to earn God's approval by obedience to the law. But if that is the case, what's our motivation to obey at all? Why even try to reach this impossible standard? Well, again, let's look at the words of Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. It's very simple, very straightforward. The motivation is not about earning our salvation. The motivation is about love and gratitude. You've probably heard someone talk about the five love languages. Everyone has a love language, right? Some people really long for words of affirmation, and others need uh, quality time or physical touch. But what is the love language of Jesus? It's obedience, right? So if you really love Jesus and you want to express that love to Him, just do what He's told you to do. Keep His commands. But there's a loose end that we haven't tied up yet. How do we know which of God's commands apply to us today? Paul's very clear that rituals like circumcision no longer apply to Christians. But Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law. So how do we sort this out? Well, let's go back to that accusation that we mentioned earlier, where people say Christians pick and choose what they want to follow out of the Bible. And people use this argument. They'll say, well, sure, you point out where the Bible says that you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, but the Bible also says you're not allowed to eat shellfish. And how come I saw you with a basket of fried shrimp the other day? Well, the answer is a little easier than you might think. You see, there are different categories of laws in the Old Testament. One category would be the civil laws. These apply to Israel. They were set up by God to govern the politics of Israel. Another category would be the ceremonial laws, and these are related to the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant which is the law system. And this category includes things like circumcision and rules about shellfish. And both civil and ceremonial laws were temporary. They were time stamped because we're not under the old covenant anymore. The civil laws are obsolete because that old theocracy of Israel doesn't exist anymore. Ceremonial laws are also obsolete because there's no need for lesser sacrifices. The perfect sacrifice has come in the form of Jesus. But there is one more category, and that's the moral law. These are the laws that reflect God's character, and the Ten Commandments fall into this category. We still defend these laws today And a genuine follower of Christ will seek to obey these laws as an act of worship. It's a way to show our love and our gratitude to Jesus. But you know, even when you throw out the civil and the ceremonial laws, it's hard enough to obey just the Ten Commandments, especially when you remember how Jesus defined them. Because it's not just the act of murder that's the problem. You break that commandment when you have hatred in your heart. And it's like that with all of God's moral laws. You commit adultery just by looking at someone with lust in your heart. So if the problem is not just outward actions, but also inward thoughts, man, it's very difficult to keep a perfect record, isn't it? And this is how our relationship with the law gets complicated. Some of us want to buckle down and go into strict accountability mode. Others of us want to throw up our hands and say, hey, let's just stop trying so hard. Let's just accept our imperfections. But what does the gospel tell us? It tells us when we've been justified by faith, we know that God does not judge us based on our level of obedience. We also know that God's moral law is still a reflection of his character. And if we love Jesus, if we put our faith in him, we will strive to obey his commands. But how do we make real progress in this area? How do we become more obedient? Well, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. As we get to the second half of Galatians, we're going to see there's only one way that we can grow to become more like Jesus, and that's to be transformed by God's Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says back at the beginning of this chapter. In verse 3, he says to the Galatians, Are you so foolish? After beginning, beginning your relationship with Jesus by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And no. Just like we could never be justified or made right with God by our own effort, we also can't reinvent ourselves to be more like Jesus. We need to let God's Spirit go to work in us. The Holy Spirit enables us to obey Jesus out of love rather than fear. So the reality is, we're all completely dependent on God. We're desperate for the grace that only comes through Jesus, and we're desperate for the power that only comes through the Holy Spirit. We're desperate for the gospel, which was God's idea in the first place. So in the end, what kind of church is the best kind of church? Well, a church that lives out the gospel is the kind that brings glory to God and leads people to Jesus. So let's allow God's Spirit to work in us and let's be that kind of church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, that old law system is, is not all we were left with. Lord, we thank you so much for grace because we have no hope without your grace. We we have no hope without the sacrifice of Jesus uh, that he took uh, full uh, responsibility, accountability for our sins. It's not fair, but we thank you so much that it's not fair. Lord, I pray for uh, all of us here who have experienced the freedom that comes through Christ. I, I pray that we will live in that freedom. I also pray for anyone here who has not experienced that yet. I pray that you will uh, speak to their heart. Just uh, encourage them to, to take that step to receive your grace. I pray they will do that even today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, just a few days ago, many of us got the shocking news that we lost two people who were connected to the Plum Creek family, Dorothy Schwartz and Maureen Shelton. They were sisters, born 12 years apart, and they passed away on the same day. We definitely want to be praying for their families, for everyone who was close to them, because when you lose someone you love, there is grief, there is sadness. But We also want to thank God that there is hope, and there is a promise that we can claim for these two. We know that when they left this life, they were headed to be with Jesus. Not because everyone is automatically accepted by God, that's not what the Bible says. And not because their, their good deeds outweighed their bad deeds. That's not what the Bible says. It's because they had a life-changing relationship with Jesus. They were living by faith in Jesus. That's where my confidence comes from. That I will see them again in heaven. I know where they stood. I don't know where all of you stand. And if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus if you've never surrendered your life to Him, turned away from your sins, if you've never been baptized into Christ, we invite you to do that. None of us is promised tomorrow. So let's take advantage of the time that we have this time, today. If you need to say yes to Jesus, we encourage you to do that right now. As we sing in just a moment, I'll be down front. I'll be glad to to talk with you. Help you with that decision. Be glad glad to pray with you for any reason. We also have a prayer team that will be down front. And we'll be here after service dismisses. If you need to talk to someone today, if you need to take a step toward Jesus, I invite you to do that. Let's all stand and sing together.